Singh's chosen deputy, the former sorcerer Banda Singh Bahadur, has managed to amass an army. He is ready to bring Nawab Vizier Khan, who mercilessly murdered the Guru's younger sons, to justice. Before we begin the episode, we have a favor to ask of you. If you find this work compelling, please be sure to rate it and write a short review. That will definitely help us get the podcast to a wider audience. बंदे का डेरा सुन आया सहो बजीरा लड़ने धाया तोप जंबूरे मुहरे धरे तिसके साथ प्यादे करे ऑनवर्ड टू बंदा सिंह्स कैंप कम्स वजीरा टू मेक वॉर लेड बाय कैमल्स बेयरिंग गन्स इन्फेंट्रीमैन नियर एंड फार इक वल किए शुतर हथनार इक बिद करी लड़न की कार डुक बंदे डिग शलक चलाई जन गोलन बरखा बरखाई प्लान्स एंड स्ट्रैटेजम्स गलोर टू जॉइन द बैटल वॉरियर्स फेन ऑन द कैंप दे ओपन फायर ऑफ कैनन बॉल्स देयर इज अ रेन तोप जंबूरे हर कल भारे चलवाए बजीरे जो थे सारे गोले चले जंजीरे जोड़ लंगे बिरच उस सुंटे तोड़ कैनन्स फायरिंग बिग एंड स्मॉल वजीरा हेसन्स टू डिप्लॉय Volleys fierce without a break, mighty trees they do destroy. Goli barse jaise meh, khade behen keh pain na deh. Dhoot bhai din te raat, ghode pag bahod hood udat. Bullets fly like pouring rain. None can dare withstand the swarm. Skies are blackened by the dust. Hooves of horses raise a storm. जन कर भई हनेरी रात तोड़े चमक टिटाने वात धुओं धार उठ हो गई घटा चमकत प्याले जन बिज छटा डार्क इट इज एज इफ नाइट फॉल अ ग्लो वर्म इज ईच फ्लैशिंग गन रेजिंग स्मोक दैट्स ब्लैक एज नाइट फायर स्मोक एक्सप्लोजन स्टन चले पासो नठ नठ जाहे बंदे ओहले होए लुकाए लुटेरे लोक जे बंदे रखे लरण मरण तज होए गए वखे द रैबल ऑफ बंदा सिंह्स फोर्स हेल्टर स्केल्टर सीक्स रेफ्यूज दोस हु केम टू प्लंडर रॉब स्कैटर्ड बाय द फियर्स डेल्यूज कहे फकीर कहां हम गारे करत मजूरी था मुखारे चले बंदे सब नठ गए सिंह सूर में ठाणे रहे ऑन बंदा दे हीप अब्यूज टू फीड आवरसेल्व्स वीड रादर टॉयल बैटल्स डिड द ब्लैक कार्ड्स फ्ली सिंग्स डिड नॉट एन इंच रिकॉयल
the battle of Chappar Chidi was in progress, Nawab Wazir Khan had decided to strike preemptively before Banda Singh attacked Sarand. He had marched out of his citadel at the head of an army, 20,000 strong, that included musketeers, archers, cavalrymen, and gunners. His force also included warriors mounted on elephants. Banda Singh, according to the historian Ahmed Shah Batalvi, had 40 to 50,000 men, a number that Dr. Gunda Singh dismisses as exaggerated. The core of Banda Singh's army consisted of loyal and deeply committed Sikhs, some of whom had accompanied him from Nandir, and others who had rallied around him after he had arrived in the Punjab. Banda Singh's army also included professional soldiers, some of whom had been sent by chiefs who supported his mission. On the periphery of his force was a motley collection of irregulars, which included bandits and robbers in search of plunder, as well as persecuted peasants who were only too happy to join an uprising against their oppressors. Banda Singh's army, in comparison to Vizier Khan's, was very poorly equipped. He had no artillery or elephants, very few horses, and a small number of matchlocks. Most of his men were armed with spears, bows, and swords. The two armies came face to face at the plain of Chidi on the 22nd of May, 1710, Banda Singh Bahadur placed his most valuable soldiers under the command of Fateh Singh, Karam Singh, Sham Singh, and Ali Singh, and himself took a position on an elevated mound to direct his force. As described by Ratan Singh Pangu, Vazir Khan's artillery started a furious barrage, which caused a lot of Banda Singh's irregulars to flee in disarray. Bhayo mukabla doe valon sab sir tant vajire pas jo lutere bande saath the zakhire kiyo natas started thus a battle fierce vazira had the upper hand thieves that came to plunder fled dashed their hopes of treasure grand ute vajire sab kich liya bande ne kich sanjam na kiya Vazira, he had everything, Banda had nothing at all. No arms nor wealth he had to give, no cannon had he large or small. Ute sirtant ayopatashahi, it lada dung kanko nahi, utval mohar rupay turaye, it lut millet or dung Equipped and ready imperial force, faced by horde of hungry men, laden with wealth one, the other, knew not when would eat again. Dekho kala prab ki nyari, jite fakir shah jaye hari, prab chahe mer trino uthaye, prab chahe samundra ghadeyomukaye. Miraculous the Lord Divine, mendicant defeats a king, a thistle becomes a mountain tall, now an ocean, now dry spring. The unequal nature of the battle was not lost on Banda Singh's men. Some of them approached the mound where he had taken up his position, perturbed by his apparent reluctance to engage Wazir Khan's forces personally. 
ਆਲੀ ਸਿੰਘ ਬਾਜ ਸਿੰਘ ਹੱਥ ਜੋੜੇ ਬੈਠੇ ਹੋ ਕਿਮ ਚੜੇ ਨਾ ਘੋੜੇ ਤਬ ਬੰਦੇ ਉਨ ਸਭਨ ਕਹਿਓ ਇੱਕ ਪਹਿਰ ਤੁਮ ਤਕੜੇ ਰਹਿਓ ਬੰਦਾ ਐਸਕ ਆਲੀ ਸਿੰਘ ਬਾਜ ਵਾਈ ਆਰ ਯੂ ਨਾਟ ਇਨ ਦਾ ਫੋਰ ਪੇਸ਼ੈਂਸ ਲੈਡ ਬੰਦਾ ਡਿਕਲੇਅਰਡ ਹੋਲਡ ਯਰ ਗਰਾਉਂਡ ਫॉर ਸਮ ਟਾਈਮ ਮੋਰ ਤੋ ਮਾਲਿਕ ਫਿਰ ਹਮ ਵਲ ਕਰੇ ਸਭ ਤੁਰਕਨ ਕੋ ਮਾਰ ਸੋ ਡਰੇ ਤਬ ਸਿੱਖਨ ਮਿਲ ਬਿੰਤੀ ਕਰੀ ਹਮ ਤੇ ਸਰਤ ਨਾ ਕਾਚੀ ਘਰੀ god himself will to your aid shattered will the mughals be prayed again his faithful six we can't hold on we all agree baj singh o syam singh satgur dai so saath sabhan milke yo kahyo jod jod to haath baj singh and syam singh brave they had been by the guru sent both of them banda beseeched join the battle please relent तुम बिन हम ते लरयो ना जाई सी सो तुम डिग देह लगाई खड़ेओ खालसो और गए पराई भावे राखो भावे देह मराई लीडरलेस वी कैनॉट फाइट सैक्रिफाइस नन इज टू ग्रेट रास्कल्स गॉन इट्स अप टू अस लीड अस और लीव अस टू आवर फेट हम भज जावन नह कहूं ठोर हम मर रहेंगे तुम पग कोर forest refuge there is none we'll give our lives on your word one phir bande khalse kahyo tum ghadiyan char ladao malik ke hath jod ke aur main leg baksaye to the khalsa's banda said despair not go and join the fight i shall now the lord invoke victory refuge from every blight sing majalan bande kahyo हम लड़ रहे हैं तुम बैठे रहयो बंदे छड़क चेले भागे लड़े खाल से होए होए आगे देन द डाउटी सिक्स मझेल वी विल फाइट दे डिड डिक्लेअर रैन अवे अ कावर्ड्स फ्यू द खालसास बैटलड नेरी अ केयर उच्ची रोड़ी देख के बंदा बैठे हो जाए बजीरे गोलंदाज सद आख्यो देह उड़ाए by the plain a hillock tall on it banda could be seen wazira tells his gunners best blow him up he vents his spleen chup kar banda beh rahe ho pareo ladai gaad goli gole boh pae banda bhayo na thaad calm and peaceful banda sat in the midst of battle unafraid in the midst of cannonade unmoving banda he stayed तब लोकन को चिंता परी बंदा बैठा एहा गह मरी चले नाठियो टिब्बे लुके गोले शुंकत सुनत न सके बंदा सिक्स वर फ्रेटफुल दे फियर्ड दैट ही वुड डाई एज दे रश टुवर्ड्स द हिल दे हर्ड द बुलेट्स फ्लाई को के एहा मर जाऊग को के या फकीर लुक जाऊग को के हम ही तो ख्वारी जिनके अहंग अडंबर भारी सम सेड बंदा हियर विल डाई सम सेड ही वुड डिसअपियर सम सेड ही वुड मेन अबैंडन दे वर टू देयर फैमिलीज डियर तवे खाल से उपजो रोह लड़े खाल से आगे हो कहयो खाल से तुम टिक बह रहो हम जीवत तुम चिंत ना गहो
And then did the Khalsa stir and they launched a fierce attack. Banda Singh, you hold your ground. We still live, we have your back. The wily Wazir Khan had managed to plant traitors in Banda Singh's ranks. Before the battle, a young Hindu chief had appeared at Banda Singh's camp, leading a force of a thousand men. He was apparently a nephew of Divan Suchanand, Wazir Khan's lieutenant. The large-hearted Banda Singh allowed him to join his army. Just as the Sikhs launched their counterattack, the traitor tried to make his move. Tab unkiyo daga daga baaz dar loot chaleyo piche bhaj ghode te gir so mar gayo unko kito na un payo. The traitor then he made his move, he tried to flee the battlefield, he was from his saddle thrown, nothing did his treachery yield. Hasbande ghode mangeyo, keh malik pahunchyo aaye, maro leho lootke, deyo sotir chalaye. For a horse then Banda called, by our side now God is nigh, forward men slaughter destroy, sacred arrow Banda let fly. The arrow flew and darkness spread. In a trice the enemy blind, in their sorry sightless state, each other did their spears find. Tahi hakar khal se dayo, jan sid ijad sher so bhayo, Jo Turkan ko labhe sardar, teu khal se dine mar. Attacked the Khalsas with a roar. Lions fell on a herd of deer. Mughal chiefs who dared resist were dispatched quaking in fear. Taha bajira saskat paya, kila gaad ko agge gaya. Bande vehran saath ghisadaya, fer agan mein usse sadaya. Battered, defeated, wept Vazira, impaled he was with such great ire, through the fields his body dragged, then it was cast into the fire. Iti bajira mareo, jed sudike maha, satra sao atasata, chappad chidi ke paha. Thus did Vazira meet his end in the month of June. The year was 1768, chappad chidi Vazira strewn. The battle of Chapparchidi was over. Wazir Khan was dead, his army destroyed. A poorly defended Sarand nervously waited Banda Singh's wrath. Defenders of Sarand tried to halt Banda Singh's advance, their artillery taking a heavy toll on his exposed army. Banda Singh lost 500 more men in the standoff before the guns of the fort were finally silenced by some of his marksmen. 
who climbed to the top of a brick kiln outside the fort and killed the gunners. Two days after the victory at Chapparchiri, Banda Singh Bahadur's men descended upon Sarand. One of the first to be punished was Divan Suchanand, Vazir Khan's minister. He was put to death and a large hoard of treasure was taken from the mansions he had owned. Dr. Ganda Singh writes that the heartless Muslim population was subjected to an indiscriminate plunder. The sentiments of the crusaders had been excited by the cold-blooded murder of the young sons of the Guru in this place. The memory of that ghastly scene naturally inflamed the fire of their fury. Moreover, the host of plunderers who had rushed in from all sides could not be restrained, and so the city lost heavily in life and property. The Muntakhab ul Lubab is a history of the Lodi and Mughal dynasties written in Persian by the historian Khafi Khan around 1732. Here is Khafi Khan's account of the attack on Sarand. The excerpt is from the History of India as told by its own historians, Volume 7, by Professor John Dowson. Sarand was an opulent town, with wealthy merchants, bankers, and tradesmen, men of money and gentlemen of every class, and there were especially learned and religious men in great numbers residing there. No one found the opportunity of saving his life or wealth or family. When they heard of the death of Vizir Khan and the rout of his army, they were seized with panic. They were shut up in the town and for one or two days made some ineffectual resistance, but were obliged to bow to fate. The evil dogs fell to plundering, murdering, and making prisoners of the children and families of high and low, and carried on their atrocities for three or four days with such violence that they tore open the wombs of pregnant women, dashed every living child upon the ground, set fire to the houses, and involved rich and poor in one common ruin." Wherever they found a mosque or a tomb, or a gravestone of a respected Muslim, they broke it to pieces, dug it up, and made no sin of scattering the bones of the dead. When they had done with the pillage of Sarand, they appointed officers to collect the rents and taxes in all the dependent districts. Dr. Gunda Singh Dr. Gokulchan Narang, in his work Transformation of Sikhism, as well as Thornton, who edited The History of the Punjab, all suggest that Muslim accounts of the sack of Sarand and the atrocities are exaggerated. Ganda Singh, in particular, dismisses the charge of desecrating Muslim graves, which seems to be completely out of character for the Sikhs of the period. There was one grave that was exhumed. A Sikh woman named Anup Kaur had been abducted by Nawab Sher Muhammad of Malair Kotla. Rather than submit to his advances, the woman had killed herself and had been quietly buried. Banda Singh's men did dig up her remains and cremated her, administering her last rites in the manner of her faith. 
Ratan Singh Pangu paints a somewhat confusing picture. Shehr rukyo so lutyo nahi, chuk gayo so vakht pachtai, satgur bachan so shehr ujadan, loot koot bhai sang milavan. He took the town but did not plunder, an act he would come to regret, raise the town the Guru's decree, plunder, destroy, its fate is set. Bhool gayo vah kaar, satgur bhejo jis kahi, tohi bhayo khwaar, shahar sarapyo un gahi, tohi bhayo khwaar, shahar sarapyo un rakhi. The Guru's command banda forgot, the task for which he had been sent, there would be a reckoning. The cursed town was to be rent. Bande shahar so rakhyo bachai, dai takyan ugrahi pai, hindu kar so dar banai, musliman luk chap bachai. Banda thus the city spared a ransom, but he did collect. Hindus all were put to work, Muslims in hiding abject. Chatti lakko pargano, palmo liyo chudaye, bande keho sadkhal se, lurturkan ko liyo khaye. Districts that yielded revenue rich, in a flash they had been freed, banda now addressed the sings, Muslims rob and kill decreed. First Ratan Singh Pangu says that banda violated the Guru's command by sparing Sarand and claims that he did not plunder the town. Then he turns around and says that Banda ordered his men to plunder and kill the Muslim population of Sarand indiscriminately. Dr. Ganda Singh explains this apparent contradiction. According to him, the Hindus of Sarand pleaded with Banda Singh Bahadur that their city be spared. Hence, he levied a large ransom and granted an amnesty, which saved the city from total destruction. There is a belief among Sikhs that Guru Gobind Singh cursed the town of Sarand, which had been the site of the terrible murder of his young sons and had prophesied its destruction. Sir John Gordon, writing in the Sikhs, offers a slightly different take. Later on, Guru Gobind Singh returned to his old retreat near the Satluj, passing by Sarand, the scene of the murder of his two little sons, his Sikhs implored him for orders to burn down the town. He said that the death of his sons would not be avenged by the destruction of the town, which had done no harm, but that in future, every true Sikh who passed that way should pull down two bricks and throw them into the river in detestation of the crime committed on innocent children. This act has been observed by faithful Sikhs through the many years that have passed. Sarand was destined to be sacked by the Sikhs once again in the years to come. Banda Singh's mission was far from complete, but he needed to settle the affairs of the conquered town first. His very capable lieutenant, Baj Singh Bal, who had accompanied him from Nandir, was appointed the Subedar or Governor of Sarand with Ali Singh as his deputy. The appointment of Fateh Singh in Samana was confirmed. The important town of Thanesar, which had also been taken, was placed under the joint command of Ram Singh and Binod Singh. 
Dr. Gunda Singh estimates that the sack of the wealthy city of Sarand yielded close to 20 million rupees in cash and goods. Banda Singh Bahadur now controlled territories that produced annual revenues of almost 4 million rupees, a fabulous sum in those times. Shafi Varid was the author of the Mirath-e-Vardath, a history of the Mughal Empire. This translation, excerpted from his work, is by Professor Irfan Habib and appears in the book Sikh History from Persian Sources. After condemning the depredations of Banda Singh Bahadur in a manner similar to Khafi Khan's, this is what Muhammad Shafi Varid says. After the slaying of Vazir Khan, Banda Singh Bahadur laid down that of Hindus and Muslims, whoever became enrolled among his Sikhs should be of one body and take their meal together, so that the distinction of honor between the lowly and the well-born was entirely removed and all achieved mutual unison acting together. A sweeper of spittle sat with a raja of great status, and they felt no hostility to each other. He thus initiated numerous innovations and strange practices and put them into effect. If a lowly cobbler or chamar, more impure than whom there was no caste in Hindustan, went to attend on the rebel Banda Singh Bahadur, he would be appointed to govern his old town and would return with a sanad or order of office in his hand. The moment he stepped into the territory or town or village, all the gentry and notables went out to receive him with folded hands. It is interesting to note that the egalitarian ideals of Guru Nanak, reiterated by all the subsequent gurus and codified into the Khalsa way of life by Guru Gobind Singh, were alive and well in the time of Banda Singh Bahadur. It was the start of a revolution the likes of which had not been seen until then in the Indian subcontinent. natural place for Banda to make his capital, but situated on the Grand Trunk Road, the town was exposed and not easy to defend. Sarand was an important commercial center and at some point it was sure to be attacked by the Mughal army again. 
Banda decided to make the fort of Mukhlispur in the foothills close to Sadora his stronghold, built on raised ground and surrounded by two streams, Pamuvali and Daksavali, it was easy to defend. The dilapidated fort was reinforced by Banda Singh and given the name Logar or Iron Fortress and quickly became a symbol of the rising power of the Sikhs. A treasury was built and plunder from Sarand as well as the revenues from Banda Singh's territories were brought there. As news of his glorious victory spread, more Sikhs from the Malwa, the Majja and the Dwab flocked to his banner. Banda Singh Bahadur was practically a king now. He had an army, a fortified capital and commanded great respect throughout the land. Remarkably, Banda Singh Bahadur decided to strike a coin, but ever faithful to the Gurus, he struck it not in his own name, but in the names of Guru Nanak and Guru Gobind Singh. The front of the coin bore an inscription acknowledging the primacy of God and the glory of Guru Nanak and Guru Gobind Singh. Sikka zadbar hardawalam tega nanak wahibast fateh Gobind Singh shahishanan in both the realms is struck a coin, Nanak's sword it all bestows, triumphant king of kings, Gobind Singh, all from the one true lord flows. The back acknowledged the importance of Logar. Zarb ba aman uddahar musavarat, shahar zinat uttakhte mubarak bakht. Coined in the model city, the refuge of the world, the ornament of the exalted throne. An official seal was created as well, to be affixed on his formal declarations and his commands. Deg o teg o fateh o nusrati beidrang yaft aznanak guru gobind singh. Cauldron, sword and victory grace to grant them nanak gobind's place. In imitation of the Mughal emperors who used their year of ascension to create a new calendar, Banda Singh Bahadur introduced his own calendar, commencing from the year of his victory at Sarand. All these trappings of royal power were carefully calculated to inspire the Sikhs and make them feel that they were in every way equal to those that had been oppressing them for centuries. On a lighter note, William Irvine, in his work, Later Mughals, drawing upon a fragment from the Faruqsiyar Nama, writes, By Banda's order, all nouns in Hindi and Persian having feminine terminations were changed into the masculine form. For instance, Savari or retinue and Kacheri or courthouse were pronounced by him and his Sikhs as Savara and Kachera. Modern-day Sikhs, who, for instance, refer to a flowing beard as a Dara instead of a Dari, will resonate with this. Banda Singh Bahadur's reign was brief, and not much is known about the nature of his government. There was, however, one aspect of his rule that was revolutionary and is remembered to this day. Francisco Plissart, a merchant in the Dutch East India Company, visited India during the reign of Jahangir. 
In an account of his travels, he writes about the utter subjugation and poverty of the common people, so great and miserable that the life of the people can be depicted or accurately described only as the home of stark want and the dwelling place of bitter woe. Nevertheless, the people endure patiently, professing that they do not deserve anything better and scarcely anyone will make an effort. The condition of the peasantry in Banda Singh Bahadur's time had not improved a whit. The peasants, who had no rights, toiled under the yoke of zamindars, wealthy landowners. The oppressive zamindars extracted land revenues owed to their Mughal overlords, as well as whatever they felt they needed for their own maintenance. Professor Irfan Habib, in The Agrarian System of the Mughals, writes that in addition to imposing a fiscal burden, the zamindars imposed upon the peasantry in other ways. Some levied a poll tax called the starshumari, or the counting of turbans, and taxed marriages and births. Some even collected property taxes. In addition, they extorted begar, or unpaid services, from certain castes of the peasants, balahars, thodis, dhanuks, and chamars, all considered low caste, had to serve as guides or porters for their overlords, as well as other men of their master's class who passed through their villages. Compliance was ensured by the force of arms. According to Professor Habib, the one great instrument by which every caste established its possession of zamindari was the armed force that it could command. In his estimation, the landowner class under the Mughals had more than four million armed men to draw upon. This state of affairs was unacceptable to Bandasing. The Sikhs were mostly an agricultural people, and they chafed at the oppression of the zamindars. In the words of Dr. Gunda Singh, the tyranny of these landlords was an ever-standing and never-redressed grievance. The first thing that the Sikhs would have naturally done, and they did, was to strike out this evil root and branch. The zamindari system was eradicated by Banda Singh Bahadur, and the peasants who tilled the land became its owners. This started a process that over the decades that followed uplifted the state of poor cultivators all over the Punjab. Equally significant was the change in the outlook of the Sikhs. The surge of pride that Banda Singh Bahadur's victories engendered in the hearts of common Sikhs was to influence their image, their character, and their fortunes significantly. The oppressed were now conquerors, and swiftly attained positions of power and influence. The egalitarian ideals of the gurus merged with this new surge of self-confidence, and this confluence inspired the Sikhs to see themselves as the gallant defenders of the common people. Of course, this plebeian revolution did not elicit universal acclaim. Jigjit Singh, in his work, The Sikh Revolution, presents the lamentations of several Muslim historians of the period. According to Kushwakt Rai, author of Tuarihe Sikhan, the lowest of the low-bred and the meanest of the mean were elevated to high government positions. 
the nobility and the grandees retreated to places of seclusion, the insurrection gave rise to a number of local chieftains who do not molest the mass of the people. Sayyid Ghulam Ali Khan, author of Imdud Sadat, wrote, The whole country of Punjab is in the possession of the Sikhs, and their exalted leaders are of low origins, such as carpenters, treaters of animal skins, and jats. Baba Bulle Shah, the celebrated Sufi poet, who lived through the times when Sikh power was rising, was prompted to say, Mughla zehr pyale pite, puriyan wale raje kite, sab ashraf firn chup kite, bala ona nu chadeya hi, reh reh e ishkam wareya hi. The Mughals drink the cup of poison, those of the rough-hewn robes are kings, the nobles mute in silence wonder, rejection such fate to them brings. Bhai Gurdas II was a Sikh poet who wrote about the Khalsas, animated by the spirit of Guru Gobind Singh. He could have well been describing the triumph of Banda Singh's forces. Jab sahje pragatyo jagat mein gur jaap apara, yon upje singh bhujangiye ni lambar dhara, turk dushta sab chhaikiye har naam uchara, tin aage koi na thehriyo bhaage sirdara, jeh raje shah amirade hoye sab chhara, phir sunkar aisi dhamak ko kaampe girbhara, tab sab dharti hal chal bhai chhade gharbara, yon aise dund kalesh mein, and then did arise the men, the Guru's name, who did declaim. A race of mighty warriors sings, their garments blue, they were their fame. Vanquished Mughals fled in fear, chanted as they God's own name. None could stand before their might, Mughal chiefs they fled in shame. Mighty kings and wealthy men scattered, abandoned every claim. The thunder of their kettle drums, trembling hills reflect, proclaim. Shaking was the very earth, homeless mighty foes became. In this cataclysmic time, fretted fumed the world aflame. now virtually ruled the lands between the Satluj and the Yamuna rivers, but Banda Singh Bahadur was far from done. On the Mughal throne sat Bahadur Shah, who had prevailed in the bitter war of succession that had broken out between him and his brothers after the death of his father, the Emperor Aurangzeb. Bahadur Shah had made overtures to Guru Gobind Singh and had sought his help in the Battle of Jajau, which had been instrumental in his seizing the Mughal throne. He had been in the south, dealing with a new rebellion by his brother Kambaksh at the time of the Guru's passing. 
This is how Khafi Khan described Bahadur Shah. For generosity, munificence, boundless good nature, extenuation of faults and forgiveness of offenses, very few monarchs have been found equal to Bahadur Shah in the histories of the past times, especially in the race of Timur. But though he had no vice in his character, such complacency and negligence were exhibited in the protection of the state and management of the country that witty and sarcastic people referred to him as Shah-e-Bekhabar, the clueless king. Banda Singh Bahadur was aware that the emperor was far away in the south. Bahadur Shah had crushed his brother's rebellion, but there were strong rumors that he was on his way to subdue Rajasthan and would not return to Delhi for a while. Banda Singh sensed an opportunity to further weaken Mughal control and started contemplating further action. The Mughals had an intricate network of newswriters in place for gathering news from across their empire. The reports were collected at the capital, Delhi, summarized and consolidated into akbars or news digests that were then presented to the emperor. Dr. Pagat Singh translated and edited the news digests covering the years 1707 to 1718. The document, titled Akhbar-e-Darbar-e-Muala, was published in the journal The Punjab Past and Present. The account of Bandar Singh Bahadur's movements and expeditions that follows draws heavily upon Dr. Pagat Singh's work in addition to Dr. Ganda Singh's. Serendipitously, a visitor arrived from the village of Usara, which fell in the district of Deoband, close to the city of Saharanpur. His name was Kapoor Singh, and he had come to Logar to petition Banda Singh. A large group of Sikhs who lived in Deoband were suffering under the yoke of the Mughal commander Jalal Khan, who had thrown several of them in prison. An entry in the Akhbar-e-Darbar-e-Mola, dated June 22, 1710, reads, Banda Singh, riding a horse, wearing brocade garments and carrying a gun and a spear, came out early in the morning. He was then encamped at Gulabnagar, also known as Buria, which was situated four coasts from Logar. An elephant... 2,500 horsemen and 10,000 foot soldiers accompanied him. News had reached Gulabnagar that six had fled from Jalal Khan's fort and had reached Saharanpur. The Afghans had dispossessed the six of their artillery and 14,000 rupees. On June 23rd, Banda Singh Bahadur crossed the Yamuna River at the head of a large force and descended upon Saharanpur on his way to Jalalabad, Jalal Khan's capital. Saharanpur was under the command of Ali Hamid Khan, who fled to Delhi at news of the approaching Sikhs, despite a letter Banda Singh Bahadur had sent him, asking him to submit and promising that if he did, he would be left unmolested. The garrison and residents of Saharanpur put up a fight, but were defeated, and the Sikhs plundered the wealthy town after capturing roughly half of it. The Sikhs then marched towards Jalalabad, about 30 miles south of Saharanpur. Banda Singh addressed a stern letter to Jalal Khan, commanding him to release the imprisoned Sikhs, 
but he insulted Banda Singh's messengers by mounting them on donkeys and parading them through the streets of Jalalabad before throwing them out. The infuriated Sikhs rushed towards Jalalabad, encountering stiff resistance in the town of Nanauta that was on the way. A large group of Gujar tribesmen who professed to follow Guru Nanak further swelled Banda Singh's ranks as the Sikhs attacked Nanauta. There was fierce hand-to-hand fighting in the streets and the mansions of Nanotha, and the Sikhs prevailed, slaughtering hundreds of inhabitants and plundering the town. Nanotha would be known as Futa Shahar, or the broken town, after the carnage. Jalal Khan waited for the Sikhs in his well-fortified town as the Sikhs laid siege to several surrounding villages. He sent his grandson Ghulam Muhammad Khan at the head of a thousand musketeers and archers and 400 horsemen to relieve the siege and scatter the Sikhs. Several battles were fought, both sides taking heavy losses. Conflicting reports were being sent to Delhi. According to an entry in the Akhbare Darbare Muala, dated July 10th, 1710, Banda Singh Bahadur had reached Saharanpur after Jalal Khan Rohila and the nobles and zamindars had killed or wounded about 800 of the Sikhs. The others escaped and joined Banda Singh, but the Mughals pursued them to Saharanpur and attached their goods. The entry also incorrectly stated that Banda Singh had been killed. Another entry said that Banda Singh had escaped from Saharanpur with 50 men with Jalal Khan in hot pursuit. An entry dated July 23rd said that Banda Singh had formed an alliance with the ruler of Panipat and his followers were in control of Sarand and Saharanpur. Actually, the Sikhs had laid siege to Jalalabad. The Sikhs were thwarted by Jalal Khan's forces as well as by heavy rains that flooded the Krishna River that ran by the town. Jalal Khan Fearing that his fort would eventually be overrun, sent a desperate plea for help to his overlord, the Emperor Bahadur Shah. Khafi Khan provides this stirring account of the siege in the Muntahab ul Lubab. At length, 70 or 80,000 men swarmed together from all parts like ants and locusts. They brought with them 200 or 300 movable morchals or batteries made of planks on which they had placed wheels as upon carts and with them surrounded Jalalabad as with a ring. It is impossible to relate in full all the brave deeds done by the Afghans in their conflicts with the enemy. The assailants advanced their morchals to the foot of the wall when they discharged arrows musket balls and stones, and raising their cry of Fatehdaris, they strove in the most daring way with four or five hundred pickaxes and other implements to undermine the wall, to pass over it by ladders, and to burn the gate. The Afghans threw open the gate and went out with their drawn swords in their hands and shields over their heads, and in every attack killed and wounded a hundred or two of the infidels, many Muslims also fell. Attacks were also made upon the enemy at night. 
For twenty days and nights the besieged could get neither food nor rest. At length the infidels, having lost many thousand men and gained no advantage, raised the siege. They went off to reduce Sultanpur and the Parganas of the Jalandar Dwab. An important digression is in order. Banda Singh Bahadur had instituted a new greeting, Fateh Darshan, recorded by Khafi Khan as Fateh Daris, which also served as a war cry. It was destined to become a point of great contention within the Sikh community in the future. Jalal Khan touted the retreat of the Sikhs as a great victory, word of which was sent to the emperor, an entry in the Akhbare Darbare Muala dated July 26th recorded the withdrawal of the Sikhs from Jalalabad. A few months later, the governor of Delhi rewarded Jalal Khan with a promotion. He was appointed commander of Saharanpur as well, which had been abandoned by Ali Hamid Khan. The news of Banda Singh's impending return to Punjab animated the Sikhs, who had already tasted victory under his command. The revolt continued further north and west, and starting from Amritsar, the Sikhs took Batala, Kalanor, and Pathankot in quick succession. Kalanor was a wealthy town and the seat of many Mughal nobles. Batala was a busy market town which traded commodities in lands as far away as Afghanistan and Kashmir. Much wealth fell in the hands of the Sikhs after the capture of these towns. The lands between the Satlaj and the Ravi rivers were next, and soon Punjab was an ocean of armed Sikh peasants with Lahore and Kasur as the last islands of Mughal authority. Lahore, the Mughal capital of the Punjab, was well guarded and garrisoned, as was Kasur, which was in the hands of the doughty Keshi Pathans. The Sikhs turned their attention to Lahore, ravaging its surroundings until they were halted by the walls of the city. Several Muslim notables, aware of what had happened to Sarand, took shelter behind the city walls. Lahore was under the command of Sayyid Aslam Khan, a Pathan, whose overlord was Bahadur Shah's oldest son, the Prince Muazuddin, also known as Jahandar Shah. Sayyid Aslam Khan was a timid man who did not dare to take on the Sikhs. His weakness was exploited by the mullahs who issued a call for jihad under the leadership of Muhammad Naki and Musa Beg. A green banner known as the Hadri flag was planted at the Eidgah Mosque and Muslim traders contributed large sums of money to fund the holy war. A brigade of Ghazis or holy warriors was formed and Sayyid Aslam Khan contributed a force of 1,000 infantrymen and 500 horsemen. The Sikhs in the meantime had organized themselves into four jathas or contingents. One was deployed in the Maja around Amritsar, the second around the foothills in the Gurdaspur area and the third was deputed to attack Lahore. The fourth jatha was to be a reserve to be deployed as needed. The Lahore jatha was headquartered at a small fort called Kila Bhagwantarai on the bank of the Ravi when the Hedri banner was raised. They quickly stocked up on supplies 
dug entrenchments and prepared for the inevitable siege. Soon they were surrounded by a large force made up of Ghazis and Mughal troops. The siege lasted for several days with heavy losses on both sides. One night the Sikhs, desperately outnumbered and facing certain death, sallied forth and smashed through the enemy lines, slipping away under the cover of darkness. The besiegers declared victory and returned to Lahore, jubilant. Muhammad Qasim Ibrat was a historian who was present in Lahore at the time. What happened next is excerpted from his work, the Ibratnama, translated by Dr. Irfan Habib. The Muslim force upon entering Lahore, according to the Ibratnama, committed shameful acts upon the Hindus of the city and heaped humiliation upon the city's officers. For this offense, said the author, they were punished because in the divine court of justice, every act has recompense and every doer gets his deserts. The Sikhs had regrouped at the fort of Kotla Begum outside Lahore, and a large force set out to destroy them. The Sikhs came out of the fort, discharged their muskets, rained arrows on the attackers, and then charged with their swords. The attackers fought back, and the Sikhs took heavy losses, but eventually the ferocity of their attack made the jihadis flee in disarray. The Ibratnama blames the Afghan cavalry that took flight for the debacle. The tribulations, however, were not yet over. The defeated army returning to Lahore was resting at the village of Bilawal at night when the Sikhs, who had been silently pursuing them, attacked. This time the battle was most unequal and the jihadis were slaughtered in huge numbers. It is worth noting that there is some disagreement on the date of the Hedri flag jihad. Ratan Singh Pangu suggests that the crusade occurred a decade later, much after Banda Singh had perished. Dr. Ganda Singh, placing greater confidence in the Ibratnama, believes that the events occurred shortly after Banda Singh's capture of Sarand. Fajdar, or commander of the Jalandar Dwab, was Shamas Khan, a brave and capable Pathan who hailed from Kasur. He ruled the region from his capital of Sultanpur. The Sikhs, emboldened by their victories, decided to take on the commander after their return from Jalalabad and Saharanpur. They sent him a letter demanding that he submit and pay tribute to the Sikhs. 
The wily Shamas Khan decided to buy time by sending an evasive reply. He sent the Sikhs some powder and shot to placate them, and in the meantime started firing up his subjects for a holy war against the Sikhs. While the Sikhs rejoiced at his seeming capitulation, Shamas Khan managed to pull together a vast army that included 30,000 infantry armed with matchlocks and bows and 5,000 horsemen. He then proclaimed that the faith was under attack and called for all Muslims to join hands against the Sikh infidels. According to Kafi Khan, gentlemen of every tribe, peasants and mechanics, principally weavers, came forth boldly to stake their lives and property in resisting the infidels. They pledged themselves to support each other and contributed their money for the general good. More than a hundred thousand men so assembled and went forth from Sultanpur with great display. When the Sikhs learned about the Fajdar's warlike preparations, they started girding up for battle. Cannons were brought from Sarand, as well as planks and sandbags for fashioning batteries, as were stores of shot and gunpowder. The Sikhs decided to dig in at a brick kiln in the town of Rahun, five miles from Sultanpur. They dug trenches and built rudimentary fortifications using piles of bricks. Soon the Sikhs were surrounded by a swarm of Shamas Khan's jihadis, and a fierce battle broke out. On the heels of the irregulars came Shamas Khan's army, their fierce charge causing the Sikhs to retreat and seek safety at the fort of Rahum. Shamas Khan besieged the fort for several days, and the Sikhs tried to venture out at night in small bands to break the cordon. However, the besieging force was too large, and the Sikhs slipped away, abandoning the fort. Shamas Khan did not have an appetite for following them and engaging them, and he went back to Sultanpur, leaving a contingent of soldiers behind at Rahu, having declared victory. True to their nature, the Sikhs had really not left the area. They had been lurking in the brush, waiting for the right moment to strike. They routed Shamas Khan's garrison and reoccupied Rahu. Twenty-two battles were fought between the Sikhs and Shamas Khan before he was ejected from Sultanpur. Complete control of Jalandhar, Hushyarpur and the entire Dwab fell into Sikh hands. The Battle of Rahun was fought on October 11, 1710. Shamas Khan submitted a full report to Bahadur Shah, who was by then very aware of the new threat in the Punjab. The full might of the Mughal Empire would soon descend upon the jubilant Sikhs. For the moment, however, the Daig or the cauldron, symbolizing Langar and the compassion of the Sikh faith, and the Teg or the sword, symbolizing its military power, were ascendant. The Sikhs had never tasted Fateh or victory on this scale ever before. The Story of the Six is written and narrated by Sarpreet Singh, author of Night of the Restless Spirits, a collection of short fiction that examines the tumultuous events of 1984 
from many different angles. His previous book, The Camel Merchant of Philadelphia, tells the stories of many colorful characters who populated the court of Maharaja Ranjit Singh. The Story of the Six is produced by Almast Media. Our theme music is a rendition of a traditional Sikh hymn by the late Bai Avtar Singh. This episode features a rendition of Rag Jog on Mandolin by Gagandeep Singh, accompanied by Gurmeet Singh Jagdev on Tabla. We are grateful to Asha Khorasani for helping us with Farsi pronunciations. Season 3 of Story of the Six is sponsored by the Chardi Kala Foundation, the Sani Family Foundation, and Manpreet Kaur and Ishdeep Singh. I'm co-producer and audio engineer, Erica Wong. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.